I, I want you, if you will, to take your worship guides for just a minute. And um, occasionally we do this, and I feel particularly impressed for us to do this this morning. Uh, we began with the 46th Psalm today uh, because God is our refuge and strength. He is our very present help in trouble. And though the earth should change, uh, and though the mountains should just fall off into the sea, that's the point, um, we can look to Him and know that we are secured and established because He saves and He delivers. Last week we started our, our 12-week journey through Exodus. Um, I'll just remind you again, and we said it last week, uh, there is no more significant event in the Old Testament than the exodus of Israel. Every bit of it points to God's redemptive work. In fact, everything about the exodus, and we're going to look at the deliverer today, but everything about the exodus is pointing to the work that God uh, is going to do in Christ Jesus. Uh, and our service today has been given to us thinking about the love of God and the nature of His deliverance and how He does that in Christ. How He does it through ordinary means and how He does it through supernatural means. But I want us to pay close attention today that it is God, and it was mentioned uh, even as we began uh, and, and Adam said that salvation is every bit of God. He plans it. He orchestrates it. There would be no salvation if it were not for God. There would be none. And we can count on God. And I want you to hear this today. If you're here and you're a believer, know that you can continue to count on God. That's the reason that we sang about us as afflicted believers uh, and, and hopefully if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ and you heard and saw the words of that song, that you will know that this is the kind of God we serve. That this is the Christ of God. This is the Son of God and this is His work. He is our refuge and strength. And He is someone that through all of our hardship through all of our difficulty, through all of our challenges, through every temptation, through every sin, through every low point, through every high point, through every sickness, every disease, every death, every bit of it, He carries the believer through it. He carries the believer through it. We don't carry Him. He carries us. And He will carry us because of the nature of God and His work of deliverance. So reminded of this, all of this pours out of the fact that God loves. He loves His Son. He brought Him out of Egypt. And He loves us. We rehearsed that with John 3.16. I know that is a familiar text. But what a tremendous word to hear is that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And we've already looked at the fact that He loves His Son. And He loved Him so much that He gave Him to us and brought Him out of Egypt. He's talking about, and He is delivering 
in the nature of God's love. He is a wide-sweeping deliverance for those who would believe and trust in Him. So if you're here today and you're believing in Christ, know that your eternal life, your life for all eternity is secure in Him. And it makes no difference about the nature of the circumstances that we face here. It really doesn't. It doesn't have to be good. Life does not have to be good. In fact, I would say that most believers could wear the t-shirt that life is good, but it would be meaning something entirely different than what the rest of the world would mean if they had to try to characterize their life as good. Because there is that hardship, there is that suffering, and all through the pages of Scripture we hear about His deliverance. He's not delivering from good things. He's delivering from sin. He's delivering from oppression. He's delivering from disease. He's delivering from hardship. He's delivering from slavery. That's what He does. That's who God is. He's delivering of people that oftentimes are blinded thinking that everything is okay when everything is not okay. And then He's delivering people who realize that there is nothing that is okay. And that the only hope that we have is the fact that God is a delivering God. And my goodness, I was broken this morning again when I was hearing. And He pleads for us. He pleads for us. He's constantly pleading for us because we need deliverance. He's constantly pleading for us because we need Him. He's constantly pleading for us because we need to know that we need Him. He's constantly pleading for us. Think about that. We'll look at parts of that today, but even more so in the weeks ahead, of how Moses, as the deliverer, who was a forerunner of the Christ. He pled. He just pled for Israel. We'll look at it in a couple of weeks where he even told God. He said, God, take my life from me, but save them. Pleading on their behalf. Interceding on their behalf. All pointing to the fact that Christ pled for your life. And He pleads for your life today. There's nothing more wonderful. That's, not, that's nothing to be sad about. Incredibly joyful to hear that. And then to know that in Christ alone that we can stand. I hope you are seeing these things along the way. Uh, as we look at the Old Testament and the God who loves and delivers and works on our behalf. And the Christ of the New Testament, God of the New Testament, who loves and delivers on our behalf. It's tremendous. Tremendous. Exodus chapter 2 uh, is our text today. Last week we had an opportunity to look at a sovereign God all throughout the Exodus, all throughout Scripture. We can't get away from the sovereignty of God. But we also saw suffering people. And we were able to make the connection, hopefully we were able to make this connection, that that suffering people is a picture of our suffering in bondage and in sin. That, that was the point. That's the point of the Exodus. 
is to look at the, the suffering and the bondage of Israel in Egypt and to identify with that. God's not just delivering a people out of hardship and slavery. He is doing that. But there is something more here. He is bringing them into His presence. He is going to instruct them and teach them about worshiping Him. You know why? Because the joy of their life is going to be found in worshiping Him. And they will be exceedingly joyful as they worship Him, and they will be exceedingly miserable as they fail to do so. That's the point of, of, of all of these things that we're looking at here in Exodus. But we saw suffering people, but then we saw the fact that God is a saving God. When we sang Jesus pleading for us, I, I hope you realize that it is the same. It was echoing what we read last week at the close of our service, and you'll find that in chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And the, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And I want you to hear this. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. And God knew. Jesus hears our cry. He remembers the covenant that is established by His blood for us as believers. He hears our groaning. He knows our suffering. He cares. That's not a new thing with God. No, it was true here, and it is true today. It's true today. Exodus chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with tar and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went, called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, 
Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. God chooses a deliverer. I want you to remember the situation in Egypt. Pharaoh was unsuccessful in accomplishing his genocidal goals, uh, even though he had solicited, solicited and even commanded uh, the Hebrew midwives uh, to take part in that. And rather than being agents of death, they became agents of deliverance. God uses ordinary means. These simple, simple women, midwives who would go around and help ladies deliver. The ruler of the nation that subjected them said, kill the male children. We read that last week. And they said no. They said no because they feared God. They feared God. I want to mention something here that's going to continue to come up, but I want us to hear it today. And we need to mention what I'm getting ready to say because we're going to see next week just how much Israel did not know about God. They knew something about God. They just didn't know a lot about Him. They had some knowledge of Him, but there were things that God had not yet revealed to anyone in the same way that He was going to reveal it to Israel. Uh, we'll see that He is going to disclose some things about Himself that is ultimately going to change the nature of His relationship with Israel and with this nation of people. So, so why even mention that? Here for this reason. Even though they didn't know all that they were going to come to know about God, they still feared Him. There were some who still feared Him. In other words, there were some who trusted in Him. There were some who had faith in God. And why is that important? For this reason. Our doubts and what we don't know about God should not drive us away from God. Our doubts should drive us to God. We should believe what we know about God now. As they did. The Hebrew midwives did. We're going to later look in Hebrews and we're going to see that Moses' family did. They didn't know everything about God. But they knew something about God and they believed what they knew about God. Now you may ask, well, okay, he's going to reveal some incredible things to them about himself. Is he going to reveal something else to me? And the answer to that is, is yes and no. I'm going to begin with the no. No, he's not going to reveal anything different than he has revealed in himself in Christ because he is the perfect representation of the glory of God. He is God himself. There's nothing else that he can disclose about himself other than 
for us to see him in Christ. That has been his intent. So uh, I would say if you're waiting for God to do something else to show himself to you, if you're waiting for some other kind of sign, that's not going to come. That came in Christ. But I will say this, the answer is also yes. Because the more that we are in God's Word, then the more He discloses about His glory that is already there, but we're not going to know it if we don't study it, if we don't read it, if we don't meditate on it. It's one of the reasons why we encourage each other to, to, to meditate on God's, God's Word and to read God's Word. The reason why we come together and we study God's Word. The reason why we're encouraging the ladies to be a part of the ladies' Bible study. Because there are things for you to discover that is in God's Word that you're not going to discover if you are not there and if you're not hearing God's Word taught and you're not encountering Him in His living Word. And the very reason that why we as men, we will meet tomorrow morning at six o'clock for those who can uh, and we will parse through and work through sections of scripture and parts of God's word so that we can come to know him I, I mention that because if you're here today and there's and you're waiting on something I'm going to say stop waiting believe in what you already know and then rest in God for Him to show you what else you need to know. He will show you what you need to know. And we will not know everything, ever. But we know and can know what we need to know. I want to look a few things at this text this morning because... What God is doing here, He is telling us that He has chosen a deliverer. He works through ordinary means, very ordinary means. Uh, and, and I want to preface and say, as we are talking about this, understand that God is working and can work through you. Ordinary means, a person sharing the gospel with another person, praying for another person. There's nothing supernatural in that sense about you other than if you are a believer, then you have the Spirit of God in you, but He is using you and empowering you as an ordinary means of grace and working in the lives of other people. He's calling out this deliverer. Notice here that God is acting in the midst of a desperate time. Just think about it. We end chapter 1 in hearing that every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. That was the final word of chapter 1. In other words, when, when Pharaoh could not carry out his genocidal acts and goals through the Hebrew midwives, he now commands the citizens of Egypt. The Egyptian citizens, this is, what, this is his command. He said, you are going to turn into a genocidal militia. That is, as you encounter the Hebrews, when you see a woman that is pregnant, you follow her. You stay with her until she gives birth. And if she gives birth to a son, you go take that son and you throw him in the Nile. She gives birth to a daughter, you can let her live. 
And this is what he tells the citizens of, of Egypt. I don't, we, don't, we don't know how many male children, we don't know how many babies were thrown into the Nile. We have to believe that there was a sense of real threat there, don't we? Because whenever this Levite woman gives birth to her son, she hides him for three months. Now can you imagine that? Trying to hide an infant? Babies cry. Some of us know that. Babies cry and keep us awake at night, don't they? Babies cry and keep other people awake at night. Uh, I remember uh, my mama used to tell me they lived, when they first, when my mom and dad first moved to Wilmington, they lived in Riverside Apartments. And for those of you who may not be familiar with that side of town, it's over in the Sunset Park area of town. Well, that's where they lived. And I had colic. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And their neighbors did not like them, and their neighbors did not like me. Uh, they could not hide me. They could not hush me. They couldn't do anything. How do you hide an infant? But she hid her son for three months. There was some kind of a sense of threat. Maybe she was worried that someone would tell that she had had the child. Whatever it may be, there was a real sense of threat, and even to the point that at the end of that three months, she realized, I can't hide him any longer. Don't know what happened to cause that. Maybe she thought that someone had seen her. Maybe she thought someone had told about her or told about him. Don't know. Don't know the circumstances around it. But there was a real threat, and so she took another step to try to save God. Again, using this mother, ordinary means, in a case of deliverance, in saving her child. God does work in ordinary means. And we need to put an exclamation point on the fact that God works. It's not just the means, it's not just the person, it's the fact that God is at work. It's not that man is at work, it's God is at work, and He providentially plans those moves, and He did so in this case. Notice what happens as we look at the story. Tremendous narrative. She makes a basket. It's only two times that this word is used in Scripture. It is whenever we are talking about the ark, and when we're talking about this ark, both were instruments of salvation. Both of instruments for salvation for those who were in the ark. Still pointing ahead now that God is at work in, in, in the place of this. Still at work here. God's at work. And we see that God has orchestrated every piece of this to the point that she takes her son, she places him in this mini ark, puts him in the shallows of the river in the reeds, and puts his sister to watch over him to ensure his well-being as much as she can. Have you ever thought about what she hoped to accomplish in any of this? How many days were you going to take them down there by the river? What were you going to do one night when you brought him home because you couldn't leave him in the river at night? But she's doing everything that she can and God is at work here and 
just so happens. No, God orchestrates the princes of Egypt to come to the river. To come to the same part of the river that this mother has placed her child. And she sees the basket in the reeds. And she opens the basket and what does she see? She sees a Hebrew baby. She sees a Hebrew baby. Now, as an Egyptian citizen, based upon word of her father, what was she to do? She was to take the child and throw that child into the river, but not so. Not so. She became an instrument of God's grace, His ordinary means, in bringing about the protection of His child. The drama plays out, and the child's own mother is commissioned to be the wet nurse, and she gets paid to do it. She's the only slave in Egypt that's getting paid. But she gets paid to take care of her own child. Who's going to work that out? Only God. Only God. She gets paid. God not only ordains the birth of this unnamed deliverer, but He places him, thinking about this, in the two best sets of hands in Egypt. He places him in the hands and arms of his earthly mother to nurture him and to keep him alive physically. And he places him in the hands of the princes of Egypt to provide protection for him. Every other male child, as far as we know, unless they were hidden, in some way, were put into the Nile to die. God orchestrates this princess to take one out of the Nile to protect his life. God is at work bringing about a deliverer. Let me ask this question. Does any of this sound familiar? The birth announcement of a newborn king reaches Herod. He also puts into place a genocidal act to destroy this deliverer. And as we read from Matthew's Gospel today, Joseph takes his wife and son to Egypt and does what? Finds protection. Look in verse 10. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Don't know what age he was whenever his mother brought him back. He may have just been weaned. It may have been a little bit longer. But nevertheless, we know he was a preschooler. Uh, so uh, in what we would term as a preschooler, he was a preschooler. He was brought back. And the question would be, if we were to end the story there, would be, well, what in the world ever happened to this young Hebrew boy who was saved by the princess of Egypt. Well, we find out, beginning in verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, so he goes from a preschooler to being grown up. 
We don't know anything about the in-between. But I was thinking in relation to all of this, questions would come to mind immediately, not only what happened to him, but wonder if he ever thought about his people. Wonder, now that he's a grown man, he's been raised in the court of Pharaoh, are his sentiments toward the Egyptians, or are they toward his own people? Did he ever get a chance to know anything about his biological family beyond that point? Does he know anything about their teachings and their understanding of God? Wonder if he thought about his people and their hardship and struggle? Did he even care? Well, let's find out. He'd grown up. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. well we find the answer. And we can understand what all of this means easily by turning to Hebrews. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll find out how all of this plays out. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. What are his thoughts about his people? He goes out and he sees the burden of his people. To the degree that he defended his own people. Why? Well, verse 23 of Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This will tell you what happened to him. Refused to be, the call, but be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't know anything about Christ. He had placed his faith and trust in God. And he knew, he knew that God was a God of deliverance. No, he didn't know about Christ. The Holy Spirit puts it in context to say that as he trusted in God and in his deliverance, he was ultimately trusting in the Christ who would bring the deliverance. We'll track along through that as we look at the giving of the law and his encounter with God, and look at even a little bit of that this morning. But the, the point is, is that we need to see this 
in its context. What happened to this young child that was saved by the princess of Egypt? He grew up, and even as a man, by virtue of God's providence, knew about God, trusted in God, chose to be identified with the people of God rather than to be identified with the world that had raised him. Even with all the things that the world offered. So what happens to him? What happens to him? Let's continue reading. Back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? And why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zephorah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Verse 1, chapter 3, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led this flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. If you were to look in Acts chapter 7, you would find that Moses was, according to Stephen in his sermon, was about 40 years old when he left and went into the wilderness. We'll find that he was 80 years old when he comes out of this wilderness to go back to Egypt. What does God do in the course of that? Well, the first one thing that he does is he begins to make this man shape his life for him to become uh, a deliverer. He does that, number one, by delivering the Egyptian, by delivering the Israelite from the hand of the Egyptian, and he takes that Egyptian's life to do so. We're not here condoning the killing. That's not the point. The point that we're trying to make is, is that God had shaped him to be and was shaping him to be a deliverer. The next thing that we see, and immediately we looked at it there in verse 16, he goes to Midian and when he comes there and he finds those daughters tending their father's flock and trying to water them, he saved them. Notice, what it, notice the terminology that's used. He saves them from the other shepherds that would seek to do them harm and seek to push them away. God is already shaping him now to be a deliverer. 
working in his life in that way to where he is concerned about the needs of other people. He's concerned about those who are struggling. That's what a deliverer does. When Jesus comes on the scene, who is it that he goes to? He goes to the sick. He goes to the afflicted. He goes to the sinner. Why? Because he came to save them. He is working as a deliverer even then. And there's a greater deliverance that is going to come in Christ, and we know that. But the point is, is that God is shaping and making this deliverer. But not only that, I want you to look and see what happens next. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, he was keeping this flock on the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. In other words, he came to Sinai. Okay, now that ought to begin to ring a bell. It will later as we continue. But he comes to Sinai, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Everything about Moses and everything about us would be that if we see something burning, that eventually it will do what? It will burn up. That's what happens. Well, not so here. This does not burn up. This bush is not consumed by the fire, but this bush is a constant flame, and Moses comes to it. And he said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned, because he's seeing something that he's never seen before. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then notice what Moses does. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Not only is God making a deliverer here, we already hear that God has called out the deliverer. So He has planned this deliverer. He is making him and shaping him in the course of his life. And He calls out to him. And let's notice what He's going to call him out to do. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. Now I want you to notice here that this work Ordinary means in the course of Moses, but it's not about Moses. It's about God's people. It's about something that God is going to do in the life of a people that will bear His name. I want you to pause there just a minute. It is about Christ when we talk about Christ as our deliverer because the people that will bear Christ's name are given to Christ who ultimately then presents those people before God. And I want you to see the connection here. God is at work in the midst of this ordinary means. This morning in our assurance of pardon, we looked at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we concluded in Hebrews. And I want you to take your worship guide and go back there and look at that because I want you to see how Christ 
must become an ordinary means to carry out this work. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, kind of becoming an ordinary means, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Why? Because God had made a covenant with Abraham and his offspring. And we only have to go back to Galatians and Romans and find that that offspring is an offspring of faith, not an offspring of a particular ethnic group. So as you and I, who are, are not of Jewish descent, as we place our faith and trust in Him, then we become a part of that group of people that has been saved and is being saved and is Christ's and is His inheritance and will be brought before the Father to live for all eternity. That's what He does. He delivers us out of darkness into light, into this kingdom, into this kingdom of people. Now we see that Moses is in the wilderness here for this period of time. I was thinking about this even this morning as I was thinking back through this text. I wonder why. And then I thought about it. Moses had to experience what his people were going to experience before he could deliver them. What does Christ do? He experiences what we would have to experience. He does that in advance so that He can deliver us. What does He experience? Well, we read about it. He takes on flesh and blood, becomes ordinary means, so to speak. And then He does what? He suffers, He dies, and He is resurrected. He follows the path of the hardship and what is necessary for our deliverance so that He can deliver us through it. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he spent 40 years in the wilderness. Have you ever thought about that? He spent 40 years in this wilderness as a shepherd. God honing him out, sharpening him, getting him ready to take him back to Egypt to deliver Israel with whom he would spend the next 40 years in the wilderness for the salvation of those who would ultimately cross the Jordan River and receive and enjoy the promised land. That's what a deliverer does. And all along the way, God has this plan for him. Now, how does he do it with his, in just these ordinary means, so to speak? Well, look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. There's nothing particularly special about Moses other than that God has chosen him, ordained him, called him. 
prepared him. And now he's getting ready to empower him. And then Moses answered, Behold, we're going to look back at the rest of the text that we passed up. We'll look at that next week. But then Moses answered, Behold, they, meaning, meaning your people, Israel, my people, they are not going to believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Well, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. He's smart. He runs from the snake. The Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. What's God doing? God is empowering him to do what he has called him to do. God using ordinary means. Jesus was Son of God. He was God incarnate. But what happens at his baptism? The Spirit of God descends upon him. That same Spirit that raised him from the grave. That same Spirit that worked in and through Him in conjunction with Him in the way that it had been for all eternity. The, the, the three persons of the Godhead working together. But God in, in incarnate had the Spirit of God abound upon Him, empowering Him to do the very thing that God intended Him to do, and that was to deliver. And He does the same in a way here with Moses by empowering him. Turn to Numbers chapter 11 just a minute. And I want to show you how significant this is. Numbers chapter 11. Begin reading in verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand here with you. And I'll come down and I'll talk with you there. And I will take some of the Spirit that is on you, get that now, and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it, bear it yourself alone. Did you, did you see the significance of that? 
I'm going to take some of the Spirit that I have placed upon you. Now, He alone bears this Spirit now. He said, I'm going to take some of that Spirit and I'm going to place it upon them and I'm going to empower them, but I'm going to empower them with the Spirit that I have placed upon you. And then they will help bear the burdens. Then look at verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they, they did, but they did not continue doing it. I, I just thought that was interesting in that there was this parallel between God taking his spirit. The, the, his own spirit, the spirit of Christ, and at Pentecost takes that spirit, and that spirit comes and indwells in those who believe, and empowers them to do the work that God intends to do through ordinary means from then on in the way of ministry. And you and I as believers are operating in that same way today. We don't operate in and of ourselves as believers. We operate in and of the fact that the Spirit of God has been placed in us and upon us. Moses was so significant being called out as a, as a believer, like none other, like none other, that God, the Spirit of God that he places upon Moses, he says, I will take some of that Spirit and I will place it upon them. But he takes it from Moses and places it upon them. Tremendous to think about. Look at Numbers chapter 12, just a minute. Look at verse 6. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see how significant this deliverer that God prepared and made and empowered is and then look back in Exodus chapter 4 verses 21 through 23 God commissions him and the Lord said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you will say to Pharaoh, and you'll hear this, you'll, you'll, this'll, you'll identify with this. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. He commissions Moses to go and to deliver not just, listen, 
not just Israel, God's Son, out of Egypt, but to deliver a message of sin and judgment to come to Pharaoh and to all those who fail to believe and trust in God. What does that have to do with us today? I think at least two things. One, first and foremost, we need to understand that God is a God of deliverance. He has shown Himself to be, has proven Himself to be, and if you're here today and you trusted in Christ and you've been delivered, so you have been touched by God and His delivering work in Christ Jesus. We're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, you haven't trusted God, know that God is your only hope for deliverance. But there is a second thing that I think is broad as we need to, and we need to gather this, is that in our work of service, because the Son, remember, He said, he told Pharaoh, he said, my son Israel, I'm telling you that you're going to deliver him, in other words, deliver Israel out of Egypt so that he can serve me. So we have been delivered to serve. In fact, Christ said that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve as a ransom for many. And then in turn when we are called we are called to serve and that service is to proclaim the message of the gospel and that is that there is judgment for those who don't believe and there is life for those who do god works through ordinary means and supernatural ways but mostly through ordinary means through the lives of men and women who trust Him and follow Him. I, I want to encourage you, encourage us today to be that instrument, if we're a believer, to be that instrument of deliverance and reconciliation. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to look to Him because He is your only hope for refuge and strength in life. Would you pray with me? Father, You have repeatedly through the course of Scripture and through the course of redemptive history proven Yourself over and over again to be a God who delivers. And yet, Father, we know so many who reject You and have turned from You You have told us that there are many on the road to destruction, but there are few on the road to life. We thank You that by Your grace, God, You have made Yourself known to us, that we know You to be our Deliverer. 
we're grateful for the salvation that you have poured out on us. Thank you, Father, for calling us to a life of service. We ask you today, Father, that you would impress upon us even more the responsibility that we bear in this world to point people to you and to talk of a judgment that is to come for those who don't believe and life, Father, for those who do trust and believe in you. Thank you, Father, for helping us to see this even in Moses' life, a weak man, a sinful vessel, and yet you have shown us through him that you were going to send one greater than Moses, and you did. You sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And we now look to him and not Moses for life. Work in us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.